We're kicking off a new series, very timely series for our current day and age. I called it on Facebook for such a time as this in terms of our, soci- our culture, our social issues we're dealing with right now called No Offense. And I'll go ahead and read you so you can understand where we're coming at with the series. I'm going to read you the theme verse. Okay, This is the theme verse for the series. It comes from Paul. We're going to look at a lot of what he wrote to the church in Rome, especially today. This comes from Romans 12. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Now, that's a, that's a key phrase today. So just everybody dial into that phrase. If it's possible, which means you can't control that, but it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Live in such a way that you might cause no offense. That's where this series, and that's what this series is going to be talking about. Now, when it comes to this, I want to walk through, just kind of uh, make sure we're all on the same page in terms of what offense is, um, how we look at it, how we view it, why it's so difficult sometimes to nail down. Um, We have been living a little bit in a, um, I'll explain it more as we go today, but a culture that um, uses this as an excuse, right? People could say this phrase, no offense, but you're an idiot, right? Okay, so have you ever, I know you can think of a person that said this or thought that, right? You yourself have probably thought it. But, the, but it's, like, it's like if I say this, then they're not allowed to be offended, right? No offense, but. And the problem with offense, at least in today's culture, is very rarely is, are you actually offended by a direct accusation, Okay, again, this is just our culture through social media and digital technology. Very few people say these things face-to-face anymore. But we feel a great deal of freedom and and distance when we do it through text and emails and memes and social media uh, aspects of things. And so, um, you know, again, a direct offense would be something like, this is a good 80s movie quote, you're the son of a motherless goat. You guys all know the 80s movie I'm talking about, right? that's That's a direct offense, right? Most of the time, though, it's not a direct offense. It's you stating your opinion, your thought, your, your whatever, and then you say something like, you know what? If you don't like it, you can just unfriend me right now. Not that anybody has done this. And by the way, I have to give the disclaimer. I follow most of you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I'm not talking directly to you today, okay? I know this might feel that way sometimes, but I'm really not, okay? I'm just, I'm just not. Um, you say, I'm just doing that. Or you could post something. This is for, that's all my ag- more aggressive, you know, Enneagram 8 and 3s and 1s, you know. I'm, you, don't, you don't like it, just unfriend me right now. For my more introverted, passive-aggressive people, you know, it's, it's usually what someone else says, a good meme, an article, a post, and you put that on your, your social media and you say something like, I'm just going to put this right here. I'm just going to leave this right here for whoever, you know, for whoever this applies to. That's really a little bit more of what we deal with today in terms of offense and giving offense to others. It's less direct. It's usually more indirect, all right? And part of this is going to come back to kind of our definition. So let me just give you a quick definition of offense or being offended. This is the best way I could to kind of pull some things together to kind of bring us on the same page. It's experiencing negative emotions caused by a word or action that's in conflict. Everybody say that word, in conflict. Right? It's in conflict with what? With what we expect or believe to be right. Okay? What we expect or believe to be right, which could, could be circumstantial, appropriate, or acceptable, or our values, or our convictions. Right? 
So we can have these negative emotions and negative feelings because they're in conflict with what I didn't expect. You know, I didn't expect Kevin. How dare Kevin think that? You know what I'm saying? Like, Kevin, I'm picking on Kevin. All right, Kevin's, you know, post something. And I'm like, and it would just immediately hit me like, oh gosh, I didn't know. It would be in conflict, right? It would be not, it would be not what I expected him to say or to do. He has a great Facebook post, you know, by the way, just to let you know, he's fine. But you know, it's, it's in conflict. So that's usually where this, the idea of the offense comes up is that we have this expectation of what we think is right or acceptable or our values. And this is also why offense becomes very personal. Okay? It's very personal because, because it's tied to our convictions, because it's tied to our values, because it's tied to what we believe is right. You know, you did, sometimes you don't mean to offend, right? Like, like, I didn't know when I said the word fiery, you know, that you thought I was talking about your red hair and all you could think about is how you got picked on as a kid and now you're offended that I said that. It wasn't intentional. I didn't know that about you. You know, it's like it's, that was a personal thing and they took a personal offense, That's those negative feelings and emotions that we're talking about. And oftentimes, again, it's not the direct offense or even the indirect offense that can get us. Sometimes people take offense to not what you said, but the conclusion that they drew based on what you said. That's people getting offended over what they think you thought you meant to say that you didn't say, but they thought you meant it, right? That's very confusing, but that's what people do. They can get offended over that. And, it, and, it, and I'll just be honest, it creates in our current culture, it has created what, I, what I'm calling the offense paradox, okay? It's the offense paradox. I'll walk you through it. But it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle for, for our, our day and age. If I offend, it's their responsibility, okay? If I offend, you know, honestly, I didn't know that was offensive to you. I don't know why you'd be offended about that. It's if I offend, it's your responsibility to get over it. You shouldn't be so sensitive, okay? I didn't know that. I didn't mean, you got to know that I didn't mean to, you know, say that. I should have said no offense first and then said it, you know. But if I offend, it's your responsibility. Why? Because I'm not going to take responsibility for it. It's your responsibility to get over it, get past it, know that I didn't mean it, take it with a grain of salt, whatever the case is, it's your responsibility. But if I'm offended... It's their responsibility, right? It's their responsibility to make it right. It's their responsibility to know better. It's their responsibility to do something about it. It's their responsibility to apologize. And this is the paradox. Two very completely different things and yet the same result. If I offend, it's their fault and their responsibility. If I'm offended, it's their fault and it's their responsibility. And so the question comes, and I kind of teed this up last week at the end of the message in the, in the series for families, is what is our responsibility? And so here's the first question I'm going to pose today. I got two big questions we're going to wrestle with today in terms of no offense, living a life of no offense. And this is this one. Is it our responsibility to not offend people? Is it our responsibility in terms of, in terms of giving offense? Is it our responsibility to not offend people? I got news for you. The answer is yes and no. Don't you love it when sermons are clear, right? The answer to that is yes and no, okay? Now, we're not going to be able to look to culture to, to, to find out this answer, okay? The reality is, is we, we, if I'm 45. I've been seeing this 
happen and progress over a long period of time from, an, you know, from a PC culture, politically correct uh, verbal culture, to an uber-sensitive culture that continues to move down this, this track of you can't say or do or imply anything that would be remotely, possibly, even the most chance, offensive to someone. Yet, this is the same culture that has a swinging pendulum that tells us that if it's, but if it's politically okay or if it's socially acceptable to, to say things that might be offensive, then it's okay, you get a free pass, right? Like we have to be so politically correct, but if it's socially accepted to hate someone or to hate a cause or to disrespect people, then it's okay. You can say whatever you'd like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how offensive you are. And has this huge pendulum of, don't dare say anything that could possibly offend. To, it's okay to hate that person. It's okay to say the nastiest stuff you could possibly imagine because it's socially acceptable. So we cannot, okay, with, from, the, from the humanistic, relative truth worldview of our culture, we cannot lean and trust into our culture that we can solve this question using a cultural mindset. We have to go to Scripture, okay? So I'm going to go right to a passage that Jesus where Jesus addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> it says, you have heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, everybody can nod, nod your heads to that, right? That's the, that's the Ten Commandments. He goes on to say, but I say, this is Jesus, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Now, I want you to know the word subject to judgment is the same word. Meaning that with the same degree in which I told you you could, you know, you must not commit murder, you must not even be angry with someone, comes the same judgment. Jesus takes it further. If you call someone an idiot, you say to your brother, Raka, which by the way, just basically is the word fool, best way to say it is fool. The actual little translation of Raka is empty head. Okay? Empty head. Children do not use that this week at all, okay? Don't call anybody rocket just because they don't know what you're saying. All right. You're now in danger of being brought before the court. Okay, that's the, in there, so the thing about the culture there, so he's talking to, you, because you called someone an idiot and, and a fool or an empty head, you could literally be judged by other people because of that. And then it says, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. And Jesus doesn't stop because he wants them to understand it as clear as they could possibly understand it. He goes on to say that if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, they have an offense, okay, they've been offended by you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come back and then offer your sacrifice to God. Now, for this context, for the Jewish people, Jesus, Jesus couldn't have been more clear who was responsible, right? Who is responsible for not offending? It's you. If you, you know, he's basically saying, look, you heard don't murder, you, so, so you didn't murder someone. You want a cookie? That's great, right? Okay, you didn't murder someone. There's so much more at stake. If you're angry with someone, if you curse someone, if you call them an idiot, if you, if you call them foolish, if you demean them, if you hold them in contempt, you are going to be accountable and held in judgment for that. So much so that it's your responsibility that if you know that's happened, don't bring me your worship. Don't, don't come praying to me and bringing your worship and your sacrifice. Like, go fix it. 
Go make it right. And then come back and worship. That's how clear Jesus is being. Honestly, we have, to, we have to do work to sort of make it muddy because it's so clear and it's so difficult for us to live and so difficult for us to follow through with. Which prompts the next question, and this is the one that I don't know if I can answer it fully today, but we're going to attempt to, okay? First question's yes and no, and I'll break that out, but the, the question that is prompted from the yes, we are responsible says this, well, how do we live at peace with everyone when everyone everywhere is divided on everything? How do we do that? Now, like, how do, this is a practical question. How does that work when it seems like, maybe this isn't fully true, but it sure seems like everyone everywhere all the time seems to be divided on pretty much everything. How do, we, how do we own that? How do we wear that burden? How do we own and shoulder that responsibility to not be people, to people who live a life of no offense? I'm going to walk you through the way, again, Paul. Paul addresses some issues with the church in Rome, with God's people. And if you want to turn in your, write it down or turn in your Bible, you can turn to Romans 14. I am not going to read it from beginning to end. I'm going to jump around a little bit, okay? So I'll put it on the screen for you and for those online. But just know you can go read it fully. I want to walk you through a little bit more systematically, like the, the specific problems, the challenges that Paul gives, the, the, the overview that he gives of what to do instead in terms of how we look at this idea of division and offense and how we can live when we don't agree, and when we have this opportunity, if you will, for offense. It starts with this verse one. Accept the one who is weak in faith without quarreling over disputable matters. Now leave this up. Paul starts all this off by saying, I want you to accept one another. Okay? I want you to accept accept one another. And it sounds a little judgy at the beginning, hey, those who are weak in faith, but this is just Paul. Paul's going to show you later on that he, he has a personal conviction about this. He's got, he's got a response that he wants to give. But most of the time, just view that word weak in faith as maturity, okay? Less mature, more mature, right? And let's all be honest, when we disagree with somebody about something, don't we feel like we're the one that's a little bit more mature in that disagreement? Don't we all feel that way sometimes? Yeah? Yeah. So Paul's like, even though you'll feel that way, I want you to accept one another. I want you to do it without fighting. Doing, do this without quarrel, offense, over disputable matters. And he's going to give some examples over what he considers to be disputable matters. And it's not, it's not stuff that's outside of Scripture. This is stuff that's you, know, you can pull some verses in Scripture and make an argument for. But he says these are disputable matters. These aren't what we would call primary theology or, 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 you know, the issue of salvation. Like, it's, it's different. And he starts to give the specifics. And here's where we're going to jump around. He says, for instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything. Now, if you look in your, one of your translations might say it's okay to eat meat because that's primarily what's being talked about here. Some say it's okay to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience We'll only eat vegetables. Now, I could probably go off and make fun of vegans and vegetarians, but I'm not going to, all right? Because that's not exactly what's at stake here, okay? He says there's, there's some who eat meat, there's some who 
have a sensitive conscience and only eat vegetables. He goes on to give another example. He says, in the same way, someone, uh, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Now, this didn't have solely to do with just when to worship, but it did have a little bit to do with that. It had to do with Jewish holy days. And here's, here's digging into the context, which is important. You get, to, you get to this idea that these are big issues for the believers in Rome. These don't sound like big issues to us, okay? But these are big issues, current day, modern day issues to the church, the believers in Rome. Why? Well, because those who believe they can eat the meat that's sold in the market are eating meat that was actually blessed by pagan, by pagan uh, priests. Okay, because meat, it's not like today, like, you know, meat was used, primarily meat was used as sacrifices. And so they were oftentimes sacrificed to pagan gods and pagan idols, and they were blessed by pagan priests. And then once it was all done, the meat was taken to the market and was sold in the market, traded and sold and bartered. And you had these people that said, well, that's okay. And then you had some Christians that said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you can't eat that meat. Like there's, no, that's, that is unacceptable. And therefore, they only ate vegetables. And there were some other things in, in, in there too. Same thing goes with the days of the week. Okay, Jewish people had so many emphasis on festivals and days and holy days that they actually really needed to honor. It was part of their heritage and culture and, and history. And it had, a great, it had great meaning to them in terms of them and God. But you also had Gentiles that didn't have any historical context to that. Gentiles who didn't really know and didn't really care to know because it didn't seem to, to matter in terms of their following Jesus, in terms of them hearing the gospel and following, following the way. So they didn't think it mattered. Every day is the same. It's Monday is the same as Tuesday, same as Sunday, and everything else. It was fine. And so you had these, you had these disagreements, you had these offenses showing up in the church, showing up in their context. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't like they couldn't find Scripture. Okay? You could dig into some great Old Testament verses and read all about why you shouldn't eat bacon. Okay? Like, you know, like, like they, they, had, they had some stuff. They had New Testament. They had words that Jesus said. Some of the people would have had words that Jesus said. Says, no, Jesus said it's just fine now. Right? Like, they're, they're, they would have had scripture that they could have, like, used as, as ammo to kind of build their point. Whether it's days of the week, whether it's something you're eating. And this is the conflict. This is where you see them divided. So Paul starts with his first set of challenges that I want to read for you. Skip down to verse 10. So why do you, he's talking to the churches, why do you condemn another believer? Another word you'd see there is holding contempt. Another believer. Another child of God. Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. He keeps going. Oh yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop. Let's, let's stop the condemning and the contempt that we have for one another. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Read offense here. You will not cause this. Again, responsibility, 
you're condemning, you're judging, you're, you're holding them in contempt, you're looking down on them, and I want you to live in such a way that you, you are not causing anyone else to stumble and fall. That you're not making this an issue that they would stumble in in their faith. Now, is bacon really that important? It's a great question, right? Is the, yes, of course, amen, there you go. Is bacon really that important, or is the, or is the day really that, like, like we, as we are the outside looking in, it's hard sometimes to get the context of what that means. Why was there such judgment? Why was there such condemnation? Why was this such a big deal to those Christians? Well, if you do some research in it, and I'll kind of give you, this, this is one of the reasons I love this passage, is because it really wasn't about the bacon, and it really wasn't about the day. Okay, those were just the, sort of the tip of the spear, so to speak. And what this leads us into is something that I want to give you the first warning about, because this is where Paul kind of takes this. I want to give you the warning, especially as it comes to our culture, is I want you to beware package deal offenses. Okay? Package deal offenses. Package deal offense looks like this. Oh, I see you enjoying, you're enjoying some bacon there. You do know that was blessed by, by pagan priests, right? Do you not love Jesus? Do you not want to follow what the church is called the way? Have you, do you, I mean, how many other pagan things do you possibly engage in? How many heathen beliefs have infiltrated your home? How many other things do you not care about in terms of what Scripture clearly says because you have the audacity to eat bacon? That's a package deal offense. Is everybody with me? I know that sounds silly. Let me bring it into our culture. Okay? Let's talk about politics. Oh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Everybody just get it ready, 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 ready. Let me take four issues, four issues that I can find in Scripture. I could teach lessons on. We could talk about it. We're, we're talking about four clear issues of, of, of Christian biblical teaching, instructions, and ideals. Social justice, racial equality, sexual purity and ethics, sanctity of life. Four issues. Not muddy, not unclear, clear scripture, clear ideals, clear instructions. Four things. What has happened somewhere, sometime, at some point, Somebody in, the, in a party, in a political party, said, you know what, this issue, or maybe it's a couple of issues, yeah, this is going to be a liberal cause. We're going to tie this to a liberal ideal. And somewhere, somewhere along the lines, at some point, somebody grabbed an issue or a couple of issues and said, no, 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 these are going to be conservative ideals. These are going to be conservative causes. Even though all four, all four are biblical. So you as a Christian might choose to talk about one of those things. And all of a sudden the people in your life, other Christians in your life, will look at you and say, ooh, I didn't know you felt that way. Right? I noticed you had a little blue sticker on your Facebook profile. It's interesting. Interesting. I didn't realize you are in favor of killing babies, raising taxes, 
revoking religious liberties, abolishing all genders, and destroying America. Everybody with me? Oh, I noticed you, uh, I noticed you forwarded or you know, kind of shared that, that tax plan that Trump has. I didn't realize you hated black people and women and immigrants and equal rights of all sorts, but you just love your guns and your money and your archaic political system of oppression. Everybody with me? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be. Okay? It's uncomfortable because it's supposed to be. That are, those are package deal offenses. Those are package deal offenses, meaning that because of one thing, because of bacon, I'm going to be offended and accuse you of so much more than the issue at hand. Guys, nothing is more clear in the political divide that we have in our country that over either with singular issues or multiple issues that Christians need to have a voice and need to speak about because they are clearly listed in Scripture. And yet, to say one of them is to cause offense with all of them. And here's the deal. Guys, we're smarter than that. We're smarter than that. I know you're smarter. You come to Journey. I know you're smarter than that, right? And yet, we're all still playing the game. And guys, it's a game that we're rigged to lose as followers of Christ. It's a game that we're rigged. There are no winners. There are only losers in this political game. And, that's, and the worst thing yet is that you're playing the game and you're bringing it into the church. You're bringing it into the fellowship with other Christians, with other believers. You're bringing in that kind of you know, package deal ethics and package deal offenses into your relationships with other Christians. Worst thing yet. You have to be aware of that. And it's really, I'm just telling you, it's so much easier said than done. But as you wade into the political landscape, and I know many of you are already there, neck deep, over your head in it, really. You need to know what your responsibility is. Here's how Paul addresses it. To the church, he says, the one who eats everything, okay, must not treat with contempt. Look down on, judge. The one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge, hold in contempt, condemn the one who does. For God has, what's the word? God has accepted them. God has accepted them. You can't force that conviction on them, that disputable matter. You're not to judge them. They're not to judge you. <laughs> who are you to condemn someone else's servant? That's a big one. Do these people belong to you? Mm -mm. Their own master will judge them for what they, when they, whether they stand or fall. Their own master, who is God, they will judge them. He will take care of whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, get this, with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Do you know what that means? Paul's like, guys, who are you to condemn and hold and contempt other people and to, and to cause offense and to be offended? Okay, they're not your servants, they're God's servants. And he, he's going to judge whether they rise or fall. And with the Lord's help, they'll rise. With God's help, they'll, they'll rise and be accepted. How dare we root people to fail? 
Because they have a different opinion than you. Because they have a different political view than you. Because they wear a mask or don't wear a mask. How dare you? And we, as Christians, root for people to fail, especially other believers. How dare we? Paul's like, man, with God's help, <laughs> they'll rise. They'll, they'll, they'll be able to stand in approval. Keeps going. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, they do it to honor him. Let it be. Those who eat all the kind of food, do so to honor him since they give thanks to God before they're eating. Those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Like, guys, don't make it about the package deal. Don't read into all this thing. Let the man eat his bacon. You know? Let the person worship on this day. It doesn't matter if they're, they're celebrating Yonka, but it doesn't matter what they're celebrating, that, that thing that's, that's important to you. It's important to you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's important to you. Let it be important to you. But the offenses and the division and the judgment that's coming among God's people, Paul's like, there's, it's, it's inexcusable. There's no excuse for it. I use the word contempt, but just to let you know again, contempt always assumes the best motives on my part and the worst motives on yours. Okay, that's what contempt really means. It assumes the best motives in me, but the worst motives in you. Now, it's easy, it'd be, it would be easy for you to have this idea that because of this, you're not allowed to have convictions. You're not allowed to take a stand for things you believe in. You're not allowed to champion things that you have been personally convicted about. And I want you to know that's not true. Okay, that's not true. We're going to read some of Paul's personal convictions here that he shares with the church because it's okay to have those convictions. But I want you to see this before I read the passage. Okay, We have to marry our convictions with humility and wisdom. Okay, We have to marry our convictions. I am convicted about this. I believe absolutely about this. The absolute truth of the word of God places this conviction in my heart. But I have to, in the terms of how I live and responsibility to you, I have to marry my conviction with humility because it's not all about me. Right? And wisdom. You know what wisdom means? The way I see things isn't the only way to see things. What has brought me to my conviction isn't the only argument for that conviction or that disputable matter. Therefore, I need to be a learner and listen. I need to marry my conviction with humility and wisdom. Here's Paul. Very clear. I know and am convinced, convicted, on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. If someone believes it's wrong, then for that person it's wrong. And later on, I won't read it, but he goes on to even say, listen, you need to have this conviction, and if it's wrong for you to eat bacon, that's fine. And as a matter of fact, if you have a conviction about that, and you break that conviction, like you, you eat bacon and break your own conviction, it's actually sin. Because you have that conviction for a reason. goes on. If another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Okay, he's talking about the primary theology here. He's talking about the, the, the kingdom of God. 
He says, you, you're not going to be criticized for doing something you believe is good if you'll act with sensitivity, if you'll understand what, what maybe offends them and you don't do it. He says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. It's living a life of goodness and peace and joy. That's what it's all about. If it's possible, as it depends on you, you know, live at peace in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. Keep going. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. You can't force your convictions on other people. You can't. Your goal is to build them up in humility and wisdom, to encourage one another, stick to the core and the foundation of, of the truth about salvation about Jesus. There's going to be disputable matters. Does it need to cause division? Does it need to cause offenses? If you live in the right attitude and the right humility, it's not about whether you eat the bacon. If I meet with you and it offends you, I won't eat bacon. I'll eat bacon the rest of the time, right? How loving is it to know that you're offended by that and to show up at a, you know, a sunny you know, uh, breakfast buffet and load my plate full of bacon? Well, I have the Christian liberty to eat all the bacon I want. And you can't be offended. Well, they certainly can. Because you're not being very loving when you already know that's going to offend them. Everybody with me? It's still your responsibility as much as possible. And as much as it can depend on you to live peace. Now, I told you early on, I need to work on wrapping it up, but I told you early on, right, that the answer was yes and no. Is it our responsibility not to offend people? Yes and no. When is it no? Well, I'll tell you. It's because the gospel offends. The gospel offends. The absolute truth of the word of God offends people. Jesus said, Jesus said himself, I'm going to split families. You know, I'm going to split mother from sons and fathers from like, I'm going to split them over me, over the truth of who I am, over the truth of the word of God. Jesus also, this is a great uh, illustration, great example. Jesus called to the crowd, and believe it or not, this is one of those scriptures that shows that he was allowed to eat anything you want, right? Jesus called the crowd. He just shared this whole thing about hands and washing hands and eating clean and all these things. He said, listen and try to understand this. This is Jesus to the disciples and the people in the crowd. He said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Okay, because they had all these rules about what you put in your mouth. He's like, eh. He, the disciples came to him and later and said, listen, Jesus, did you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Right? Like, did you know how offensive that was to them? Jesus goes on to give them a couple of replies. The one that I love is like, look, they're blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they're going to both fall into a ditch. Right? It's true. That's the way it works. Jesus is just saying very clearly, look, it's going to offend those that don't see, that don't understand. It's just the way it's going to be. I'll give you a quick example in terms of here at Journey, okay? This is, this is a big cultural issue for us. It offends people, okay? It offends people whenever, whenever we're teaching on sexual, sexual ethics and impurity and all that. It offends people when we talk about no sex outside of marriage, 
period, that it's called a sin. It offends people. When I read the Bible and I talk about homosexuality and all the letters and, and genders that it represents, that, it, that the Bible calls it a sin. It offends people when I read that and say that. Believe it or not, it also offends people when they find out that we love and serve and care for and find ways to invite them to our church. And that when they have come to our church, when, when people with homosexual uh, lifestyles have shown up at Journey, they are welcomed and they are loved and they are encouraged to get involved and be a part of our community. That offends people. And all I can say at that time is, listen, guys, I understand it's a problem. I understand there's tension, but I can't, I can't get past what the Bible says about homosexuality. It calls it a sin. That's what it says. I also get, can't get past how he called me to love my neighbor. The people who look different than me, than me think different than me and act different than me. I can't get past that either. I can't get past either one. So at this point, I have to choose who I'm going to offend. And I don't want to but I know I'm going to. Does that make sense? Nod your head. Because the word of God offends. The gospel offends. Here's how Paul, he said it to the church in Corinth. He said, the message of the cross is, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, those outside of the faith. He says, you, <laughs> when we who are being saved know this is the very power of God, talking about the cross of Christ, it goes on to say, so when we preach this, that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. Okay? Well, like it's, who, how can they win, right? The Jews who is God's chosen people reject that Jesus died for their sins. And the Gentiles who don't know anything but pagan gods and the pantheon of gods find it nonsense to think that there's one God who saved them all. Paul says, it's going to offend people. That's the way it works. Here's another passage. This is in 1 Corinthians as well. It says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the Spirit of God. Absolute truth is going to offend. The Word of God is going to offend. What is the challenge for us? Well, the challenge for us is to make sure that we are not offending people if it's possible. As much as it depends on me, I have to make sure I'm trying not to offend people. If the word of God is what is offending people, there's nothing that I can do about that. But I want to be really careful and I want to be really wise and I want to be really humble to make sure that it's not my interpretation and my application and my history and my slant and agenda that is what is offending people and I'm just using a verse out front to try to, to, try to justify it. No, I want to be really, really clear that it's scripture, and if you're offended by that, join the club. I'm offended by scripture often, right? I don't like that it calls me a sinner either. But if you live in such a way, in harmony, to build up the body of Christ, to live, to live without this division and without these offenses, guys, I'm telling you, there's so much that God can do in our midst, even when the gospel is offensive, so I don't want you to, this is the main reason I said that. I don't want you to wear the weight for hopefully for all of us. We have friends, we have people in our circle of influence and accountability that are not believers in our lives. They're on your Facebook page, they're in your life. You, hopefully they're on your top five that you're praying for and you're praying for God to give you opportunities to share faith with. 
And sometimes something you say and sometimes a conviction that comes straight from the absolute truth of the Word of God, it might offend them. I want you to know that you're going to feel the tension because you, you don't want to offend them. You don't want to push them away. But sometimes it will. Sometimes the gospel will offend. That's why the answer to that question is yes and no. Here's the summary of those statements. Paul actually, you know, we read it chapter 14 and chapter 15. It was all one thought to Paul as he walked them through the issues. But we go to chapter 15 to see this. That we who are strong, okay, talking about the mature believers, must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. Everything he talked about in 14. We must not just please ourselves. I think it'd be good if we all read that just one time. Does that sound good? All right. I'll make you read it twice if you don't read it aloud the first time. Okay, you guys ready? All right, let's read that last sentence. We must not just please ourselves. Keep going. We should help others do what's right. We should build them up in the Lord. If you go to verse 7, it says, I want you to accept each other as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given the glory. So that God will be given the glory. That's the goal, right? The goal is that what we say and do and all the things that we say and do, that God would be seen, that he would be given the glory. And in, this, in light of this, he's basically saying, look, don't let these offenses creep into the fellowship of God's people. Don't let it. Like, if it's possible, <laughs> as far as it depends on you. Guys, we cannot, get away again, we cannot get away from our responsibility in this. We can't. Scripture is too clear. We cannot get away from our responsibility. So as far as it depends on you and as far as it depends on me, we have a call to live at peace, to live a life of no offense. And I know it's easier said than done. And next week, we have a very special week kind of plan next week to talk even more about what it looks like when we offend and when we ourselves have to work through the hard mess of getting past and getting over an offense, especially in the church. Let's pray together. God, thank you for um, the way your word challenges us. The way it's just challenged me even in this season and in my own thoughts and my own words and my own responses to people. And God, I... By no means am I a picture of getting this and understanding this, but God, I do, I do pray that everyone here is challenged in some way today. Some way they are challenged about the responsibility that they have. Don't let them continue to, to, to buy the paradox that it's always someone else's fault and it's always someone else's responsibility. God, move in us that we would really believe it's true that that from a, from a foundational standpoint in terms of salvation and, and living out our life with the Holy Spirit and love and joy and peace with each other and harmony in the body, God, that that would be our goal. That would be our desire. We would not let package, package deal offenses and we would not allow politics and you know, responses to pandemics and you know, biblical you know, secondary theology. We would not allow these things to cause division and offenses in us. That we would work to build each other up to accept one another just because you have accepted us. And we can only do that by your power, by your strength, and by your name, Jesus. Amen.